and welcome. Greetings to another podcast by myself, Lynn Marino. Um, I am happy to be back. I'm happy to be here. And the last podcast I did, the last episode, was on early childhood development. And we talked a lot about um, childhood and how we reacted and our development to becoming adults with uh, with the inner child not really being addressed and a lot of people do not address the inner child or what happens in that early stage of life that led us to different relationships that maybe we stayed in too long um, life laundering that we weren't able to do. I want to start today with a lovely poem that you may have heard which is lovely and um, I, I want to read this out. Love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, love does not boast, love is not proud, love is not rude, love is not self-seeking, love is not easily angered. Love keeps no record of wrongs, love does not delight in evil but rejoices in the truth. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always preserves. Love never fails. And I, I wanted to read that because I, I, I think about our child self and that journey to becoming an adult and all the complications and all the complexities that we have. And I, I know my journey when I look back, wow, I am so blessed to be where I am right now. And it hasn't gone without its um, ups and downs and its challenges. But someone told me once that obstacles are golden opportunities for change. And I really believe that you know, change we can do, change is necessary. So today I wanted to kind of focus on, following on from the last, the last episode, I wanted to focus on victim to survivor. And uh, a lot of people ask, well, you know, what is a victim? I don't want to be a victim. There can be a very negative connotation to the victim. And we're taught um, a lot of the time, you know, that being a victim is being negative, being bad. But the truth is, what I believe is that we're all victims in life to something, somewhere, at some point, some time. And yes, moving from victim to survivor, it can come about, we survive as a way of making choices. And when we, again, look at that first area of life, of our development in the first stages of life, where we didn't, we couldn't make choices because we were so dependent on our family The good thing is, is that we had parts of our childhood that were happy. We had parts of our childhood where we had the freedom to be little spirits growing in a physical body. And with that, our little spirits were still attached to the playground that we'd left. So it wasn't all doom and gloom as a child. And I think as children, you know, we we would find our way. Um, or I guess for myself, I would find my way 
to find in little bits of pockets of happiness. And I think that's important to understand. You know, we I do believe that we heal through our children, although I, I don't have children, but I've got plenty of children, godchildren, nieces and nephews in my life. And I've been very blessed with being able to understand the journey of the child through my own experience. Quite recently, I found out, which um, I talked about in the first episode, I found out that my mother had had six children before she had me. And this didn't come out until 22 years after her death, when my brother got hold of me through Facebook. And um, my beautiful sister-in-law actually uh, was the one that was the detective and just he wanted to know, you know, if he had any family left. And the interesting thing was I've always been drawn to working with people from the care system. I went into care with my two sisters on and off a couple of times when we were young due to mum's illness and her depression and stuff. So to find out that all my siblings had gone into um, into care when mum in you know without going into too many details um right now um mum couldn't cope and for whatever reason she she left three men in her life for different reasons with children that she bore from them and she kept moving and she ended up in bristol where i reside where i was born and um, met my father, the rest is history, as they say, but she had to stop at some point. So she was 36 when she had me. So when I look at my mother's story, I go back and I look at my mother's story, I've got nothing but empathy and compassion for her because we lived as children through the volatile nature of mum, through the ups and downs, through the challenges, through never having you know enough but deep down always knowing that I was loved on some level but the volatile nature of never knowing when she was emotionally going to erupt because of her depression I can now look back to see that she was a victim she was a victim of abuse she was a victim of many things you know her first child was born when she was 17 and we're talking, you know, back in back in the day when, you know, young women didn't have the support um, that they have now in developed countries. I know there's a lot of women in undeveloped countries that are still suffering the uh, the old traditional way of, you know, surviving. Um, put up and shut up and they're quiet victims I call them the quiet victims because there's a there there can be a link to tradition and cultural uh, implications there that stop women some women and men from actually moving out of victim status so my mother was she was very much a victim of her story of her past and I've analyzed this and looked back and I I think that she kept moving. When things got tough, when she couldn't handle things, she just kept moving. Her journey was always 
self-preservation. I, I can see that now. But she didn't know how to preserve herself. She didn't know how to heal herself if she stayed still in one place. And that's something that I saw in myself for many years, um, living in five different countries, traveling, I think up until 2000 and 2009. I The longest that I'd lived anywhere was three years. And that was up until I think I was 52. So up to the age of 52, the longest that I'd lived anywhere. And I think I counted something like 27, 28 places that I'd lived. And that was starting from my childhood right through to um, becoming an adult. But mum was, yeah, she kept moving. And that journey to self, this is what I'm talking about, journey to self victim to survivor. How do we get to become a survivor of our past? What can we do when we think about, you know, the impossibilities? For a lot of us, um, or for a lot of people, you know, there's always the implications of finances, um, especially if you've got children, single mothers, single fathers moving out of one area of your life into another. And I think we can bring in not just, you know, heterosexual people, but people that have been caught up in being gay, afraid of coming out, afraid of the implications of actually owning their sexuality for fear of rejection. Transgenders, um, people that are in transition in any any state. I think the victim has to be someone that, first of all, we acknowledge and we accept. And I certainly never tell anyone in therapy, if I'm working with someone, that um, you're a victim and you've got to get out of that victim mode. I would never say that to someone because if you've had a role, if you've been a victim for as long as you can remember, then it's familiar to you. And anything that is familiar, we're not going to give up. We're not going to give up chocolate overnight or having that glass of wine that we look forward to after a long day's work. So why would we give up our victim status? Some people will disagree that you know what I'm saying, they would disagree with that. But I think the slow process of coming out of victim and moving into survivor is an individual journey. And my journey of moving from victim to survivor probably came when I reached into my 50s and actually forgave the abusers, that uh, uh, people that abused me in my life. I actually forgive, I could forgive those people. I could forgive people that had hurt me. And I've always gone on forgiving people that have hurt me and that's psychologically, mentally, emotionally, physically, sexually. Um, I've gone on because recognizing that if I'm holding on to any sort of negativity, I'm stuck in that victim mode. And we can say, you know, 
I put my hand up. I am no longer a victim to anything in my life that I believed was my core belief. This is who I am. When I suffered racism as a child, um, I normalized it. I normalized it. I didn't know that it was wrong. I just felt it was the start of my self-esteem and my low self-confidence and the, the lack of uh, self-worth where I believed I, I, I wasn't anyone. I wasn't a person. I expected people to reject me. You know, when a group of my friends and I would, you know, as kids, you know, 10 year olds, five, six, seven, eight, you know, that, that age where you're at school and being called derogatory names, um, I just thought it was normal and kids not wanting to play with me. On the other hand, I had lots of friends that did want to play with me. So I think I focused on that and I became a real people pleaser. And becoming a people pleaser actually took me into a route of actually learning to um, kind of accept or acknowledge that if I get people's approval, then I'll get their love. But I didn't consciously think that because we don't, we don't consciously link love, self-worth, self-confidence, self-worth um, to actually getting approval. I know a lot of people that have been through religious abuse. And when I talk about religious abuse, um, throughout my life I've known people that have been, that have followed the tradition of what their parents have told them they had to do. You know, if you go to church, God will love you. If you go to church, if you pray to God, you know, you'll be seen as a good girl. You'll only get a reward if you praise the Lord, if you go to church. And this is definitely not knocking people that hold God and hold Jesus Christ in their in their heart and believe and connect to that part of them that in lots of ways have helped them to get through life. But this is more about the spiritual connection that one begins to develop and connect to. And that's what I want to talk about when we talk about coming out of the victim to survivor. What tools do we have? If I'm a victim to my past, then I'm a victim to everything that's happened to me. The first thing I do is I start doing something like counseling, talking therapies. I start sharing my story with people that, um, or a person that I believe will listen to me. And the hardest thing really is when you start talking about the victim self, you start talking about stuff that has happened to you. For me, there was a part of me that felt so ashamed in exposing my victim. And, um, you know, that's a whole nother story, but that led me into recognizing how my physical body was responding to my victim self. Um, but the counseling and the talking therapies, I, I strongly believe, which I started in 1998, I started seeing a therapist for the first time. It was very liberating. I came away feeling very light, but at the same time feeling like I dropped a whole weight. Um, and, you know, it was such a good feeling that 
I continue to this day, um, I've been in a group therapy now, a woman's group therapy, and each time I go, I think, you know, do I really need this? And I'm, I'm having a great week, I've had a great day, you know, do I really need this? And there's always something that I get from some someone else in the group that relates to my story, that I can tap back into. And do an inner inquiry, which I mentioned in the other episode, um, checking in with myself and why is that triggered an emotion? Why has that triggered something in me that has kind of stopped me in my tracks and making me think about that? And this is what talking therapies and counseling helps you to do, you know, moving from victim to survivor. Body psychotherapy, which is um, what I am, a body psychotherapist, I'm working with the chakra system, I'm working with the blocks, I'm looking at the blocks in an individual's um, body and seeing where their blocks are. So as an example, it could be with body psychotherapy. I remember I was working with this um, elderly lady and I was doing massage therapy at the time. I was doing a lot of massage therapy. And this lady, um, she was talking, you know, and chattering away, but, you know, I was massaging, I was trying to get her to relax. And it was like her central nervous system just wouldn't shut down. It was almost like if she stopped talking, I think she would have fell to pieces. And something inside of me said, you know, you need to address this with her. So I did, I stopped massaging and I went around and I looked at her and I said, are you okay? And she was chirpy, she said, yes, I'm fine, yes, yeah, yeah. What, what's the problem, I'm fine. I said, no, something doesn't feel right, you know, you're telling me you're fine, but you, your body is telling me something else. And that's when I started to learn about how the body holds on to our story, which eventually makes us physically, emotionally, or mentally unbalanced and unwell. And within that she looked at me probably for all of a minute and just looked at me and then this this lovely lady just burst out crying and i'll never forget it because i stopped doing everything and i just held her and that was all i could do i held her for i don't know how long it seemed but until all her tears had finished and then she was able to sit up properly and and just look at me and then look away because there was so much shame that she, that I felt was coming from her. And then she went on to tell me that her husband had been having an affair with their babysitter for some time and she knew about it and her husband was quite high up, he was a figure in, in society that um, she, the, the shame of exposing him, you know, of leaving him or addressing the issue would have meant that it could have become public. So this poor lady was hiding this and she was a, a complete victim to the shame of what she was carrying. And we talked about this because she then confided in me and with that there came this liberation and I recognized it very easy. And we must have talked for over an hour and I let her talk. And I just listened. And at the end of that, she actually put her face back on, put her clothes back on, and I'm fine. I can I can go home now, and you know, everything was fine. But 
I just said to her, you know, I'm not judging you. You know, you are a victim of something that is not your making and you're a good person. And off she went. Anyway, a few weeks later, I bumped into this lady and she was with, it turned out to be her daughter. And she came up to me and put all her arms around me and she looked completely different. She had gone home, she had spoke to her daughter, she'd confided in her family. And from that, you know, her family sat down with her and helped her to come to a decision. And the decision was that she had to address it with her husband. I never knew what the outcome of it was, but the point being is that this lady was a victim and she had taken her power back. She had made a choice that I can no longer let my body suffer in the way that it was suffering because she was so tight and tense and just, you know, her body was like a, a book showing me everything, every word. So body psychotherapy, um, you're working on a cellular level and um, that's a whole nother area that uh, there's lots of stuff on the internet actually. If you check out body psychotherapy, it can come under energy healing. It can come under, um, I think, Reiki, um, core energetics, bioenergetics. I went on to study um, core energetics uh, with a teacher that I'm still with today after um, many, many years. And it's been the basis of where my work has gone, where I now actually, my passion is helping people to come from that victim to survivor mode. When you start looking at the cellular level and how much we're holding and we start to strip back those layers and we start to go back down into the childhood and this is where we find a lot of hidden gems and I call them gems because there are gifts that are brought to us that as an adult now you can actually use to help you to address the issues that you have currently in life. Victim to survivor, personal and spiritual development. We don't have to work at being spiritual. We just are spirits encased in a physical body going through this journey, going through this life. We can come to a place where we can acknowledge the victim like my mother. Um, I don't think she did. I really don't think she did. She just stopped running but I know that she couldn't run anymore. And the end of her life was one of doting on her grandchildren. And she died when she was 72 with me holding her in my arms. And one of the things that I said to her as she was taking her last breath was, God just wants us to love one another as he loves us. And um, I looked at my sister at that point and within not even a split second, I felt this warmth come into my body and it was so wonderful and as I looked at her, she had taken her last breath and her face was so peaceful and I know that she had gone from victim to survivor at that point. Um, our spiritual development, some people, yeah, they believe that we have to work at being spiritual and I for one believe that as well, that we have to work at being spiritual. When we can do the work on all the lower self stuff, when we can really go into the depth of 
all the crap and all the shit that happened to us, when we can look at that and we can own it, then that gives us the right to actually say, I'm on the way to becoming a survivor of my past. Um, so spiritual development comes again by way of looking at how we can change. And if it's taking up yoga when you're 60, <laughs> you're on the route. You know, if it's meditating, even five minutes a day, if it's going to your Bible that you put down, you know, using any sort of tool that takes you into your your spirit. It could be looking, um, I've got a wonderful book uh, by the uh, Don Miguel Ruiz, uh, The Four Agreements. And what he talks about, The Four Agreements, is looking at the four agreements that... Um, we make we can make with ourselves, and that's being impeccable with our word, not taking anything personally, not making assumptions, and always just doing our best. When we have a set of tools, when we've got a toolbox to work with, then that is part of our personal development and our spiritual development and reigniting our connection to our spirit and then integrating the spiritual aspects of our being down into our our human conditioning because that's what it is we've been conditioned to believe the core aspects of our life that have played out in our story so our journey to becoming the survivor it happens it happens but we have to first of all go through the experience in the processes and we have to want to let go of the victim to come to that place to say I was a victim but I am no longer a victim but not denying that the victim exists not denying that the victim exists when I talk about meditation Inner reflection to self-realization through spiritual communication. When we work with others in a spiritual group, let's, let's just say, if we work in consistency, and this is the thing, this is something that a lot of us, myself included, um, find it hard to be consistent. And it's something that you have to work at. It's like the muscle is a brain. Sorry, the brain is a muscle. You know, the physical body, we're made up of muscles. Our emotional body has a muscle. We have to work at learning how to be consistent, to move out of victim into survivor. It could be looking at our focus, looking at our goals with our intention. If we're in a terrible relationship, if we're in a terrible job, if we're in a terrible course of life where we're making decisions that aren't giving us the right output, if we're stuck in relationships, abusive relationships with girlfriends or men friends that we, we don't believe we can move away from that tribe into a healthier tribe, then we have to really think about planning and planning with intention, with consistency. So meditation in a reflection to self-realization through spiritual communication is something that we can do. And I'm not looking at doing everything all at once, looking at life and just making some choices 
that are taking you on a different path. And that can be over time. And finally, group therapy. Therapy with others gives you the witness to hold you accountable to yourself. And that's very true. And that's something that I found. Whereas with in group therapy, I can actually admit parts of myself and acknowledge parts of myself that are coming from my wounded child, my wounded inner child. I can be triggered by people in my group, certainly. You know, I call it the mirror effect, where we all see people that have the same wound as us, but we're unconsciously aware of that because like attracts like. Have you ever walked into a room and there's just something about someone you either love or hate that you're drawn to? And that's because energetically we're pulled into our pain fields, our pain body, which Echo Toll talks about in um, his book, I think it's the power of now, um, or the new earth awakening, I think it's the power of now, but he talks about the pain body, and when we start to understand our pain body, this baggage that we're carrying, it's a lot to carry. Thank you for listening, and um, I look forward to being with you again next week. Remember, you can go to my website, wellnessjourneys.co.uk. I'm also on Instagram and Facebook. Um, Take care. Have a great day or evening, wherever you are, whatever you're doing. And I'll be with you again soon. Lots of love.